Welcome to Side Effects, Effect versus Affect. It's hard to know the difference. At McGowan Braybender, our goal is to provoke you to think differently about employee benefits, your employees, and the status quo. That's why it's Side Effects with an A. Join me, Kenzie McEvely, an MB co-host and one of the industry's brightest guests to dive deep into the process of good employee benefits. Let's get started. By now, it's a well-known fact that data is king when it comes to being a successful organization in the digital era. It's time for content to hit the road. Data paves the way in better targeting, and when there used to be a lag in data, it's now available overnight. Today, we're welcoming two people who are no strangers to the world of data science. Josh Gratch is the Chief Operating Officer of Ascend Innovations, a socially impactful technology company based in Dayton, Ohio. Josh graduated from Urbana University with a mathematics degree and went on to receive his master's in operations research from the U.S. Air Force of Technology. He has been with Ascend for more than five years and his mission as COO is to create an unparalleled culture and environment that puts life before work and produces amazing, impactful community health products as a result. Vice President of Data Science, Dr. Bill Baez, also joins us today with an impressive resume, including a PhD in physics from The Ohio State University and more than 22 years of service in the United States Air Force. Dr. Baez leads Ascend's data science team who dedicate their skills to understanding the nature of the problems they're trying to solve and the people those problems impact. Let's learn more about Ascend Innovations and how they're improving their community one character and number at a time. All righty. Hello, Scott. Thank you for joining me today in our Immersion Center. We have two wonderful guests with us, Dr. Bill and Josh. So thanks for joining us, guys. Absolutely. Thanks yeah. for having us. Should we call you Dr. Bill or is Bill okay? Bill is perfect. Okay. Preferably Dr. Billy. Dr. Billy? Okay. Good. Nice. <laughs> nice. Gotta like that. So one of the things, too, was uh, kind of like how we met. First of all, um, Bill, hey, thanks for your service. Appreciate you. that. Uh, I'm on the board of the Dayton Development Coalition, and we were made aware of Ascend uh, just briefly in the, in the hospital collaboration. But most recently... Uh, a good friend of ours, Andy Lehman, who's the CIO for Kettering Health, brought Mike and I down, and we sat down with uh, you and kind of understood kind of what uh, Sen was all about, what you guys were doing. And to be honest with you, I was just, I was blown away. Um, you know, there, there's no question you guys are really, really smart. Uh, and you, you add a lot of value, not only locally, uh, regionally, but also the impact that you have on healthcare. And we're just really, really glad that you're here. Thank you. Appreciate that. You're welcome. So your origin story is pretty um, incredible. When I talked with you both on the pre-call, I was very impressed. So if you can share with our listeners how Ascend was founded, when it was founded, some details about that. Yeah, absolutely. So Ascend was formed in 2015 out of a collaboration between the Greater Dayton Area Hospital Association and the three major hospital networks in Dayton. So Premier Health, Kettering Health, and Dayton Children's collectively own uh, Ascend 100% through Gadaha, who we're actually co-located with. And I'm sure we'll talk about 
the, the business strategy and all that and how that's evolved over the years. But um, at its core, one of the fundamental tenets of uh, the formation of Ascend was rooted around product commercialization. And although it's been broadened a little bit um, since uh, we were formed, um, that is still kind of a core tenet of our company. It's pretty incredible to think that the three biggest hospital systems joined together. How did you manage that? How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, one of the things about our hospital networks is that they are phenomenal collaborators when it comes to community-centric uh, initiatives. So uh, think of it about the things that are bigger than any one network when it comes to mental health and addiction, chronic disease, infant mortality, health equity, some of the different focus areas that they really collaborate on. Um, I would say Ascend is their collaboration in that realm from a technology perspective. So um, the hospitals have been phenomenal support networks when it comes to helping us kind of build that, that trusted name that allows us to go out and do the work that we do. You guys have just an incredible kind of business model. So if you think about that, what was like the original intent behind Ascend? Yeah, absolutely. So the original intent of Ascend was to go into the hospitals, into the Air Force Research Lab, into the universities, and source ideas and concepts for products that were commercially viable. We then had a team of biomedical mechanical engineers that were uh, vetting these products and ultimately were geared towards working them through a uh, commercialization process. Now, a lot of the challenges with that was a lot of the focus was on physical medical devices. So that's a long runway when it comes to especially products that require FDA clearance and things of that nature. Um, and so it made it really challenging for that to be the sustainable revenue generating model. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had to take a step back and look at that and say, okay, we still want product commercialization to be part of uh, what we, who we are and what we do. However, we had to put in place a sustainable business model to allow us to do that. So we really took a step back and looked at the company and said, what's the value proposition? What, what does it mean that we're owned by hospital networks? And we really went beyond that to say, what good can we do with that? How can we leverage technology to do good in the community? And that's ultimately where we land. Ascend now, uh, and I will say the transition is not as simple as I describe it. This was uh, <laughs> a, a many evolutions over the course of three years, but mm -hmm. Ascend is a technology company that aims to solve complex community health problems. And along with kind of the shift in focus, we've shifted the capabilities of the company as well. We, we started around uh, uh, physical, medical device, mechanical, biomedical engineering, and we've transitioned that to more of a digital health focus. So our capabilities revolve around data science, software engineering, uh, UX design and product management. Um, and ultimately what we're aiming to do is uh, help organizations in the community solve complex community health problems. So think around mental health and addiction, chronic disease, um, social determinants health, things of that nature, uh, where ultimately provided services to recovery boards, health departments. Ohio Hospice is a large partner and client of ours um, and really helping them by building data-driven products and solutions. Now, the uniqueness here is that on top of that, we've been able to, to um, embed the product commercialization into that service or on top of rather that service model. Um, so there's a lot of cases where we look work with governmental organizations and things of that nature that aren't necessarily looking to uh, retain IP. So they give us those rights in order to be able to take something we, we built for them 
in order to scale it. And that's ultimately where we are today. One of the things that I really appreciated about kind of the birthing of this too was, I mean, obviously Dayton's the birthplace of innovation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was one of the things that we looked at was the fact that you've got the Air Force Research Lab, you've got innovators, uh, and all of a sudden, in my opinion, you guys are a lot smarter than I am. It was almost like an innovation catcher that, that Dayton could look at the innovation that's coming out of the community and how do we catch that before it moves out of our region. Uh, and I, I always appreciated that, that, that intent around, hey, how do we step into that and how do we explore that and how do we try to maybe keep jobs in our community before they go outside the community? Absolutely. Absolutely. Which I think is terrific. I agree. So something we talked about on our pre-call was that Ascend kind of has two arms now. One's Ascend Innovations and then Ascend Ventures, right? So can you kind of explain the differences between the two and how that happened? Yeah, so that was really an organization of the business strategy that I described. So Ascend Innovations is ultimately the technology company that's providing services to the community organizations. But we wanted to kind of carve out Um, an entity that focused on product commercialization. Because one of the challenges that we were met with over the past few years in redefining our business model was trying to do both services and products. So we've now been able to build a strategy that we can have dedicated resource for each thing. So Ascend Innovations provides the services, and then Ascend Ventures is a startup studio that's designed to provide support in the realm of business model and strategy, fundraising, prep, go-to market strategy, et cetera. And it serves two functions. So first function is if we come up with IP uh, or a product that we develop in Ascend and we want to spin it out, it goes under Ascend Ventures for that support to help that form into its own company. Um, But we've also realized that we've created a value proposition here by being owned by hospital networks, by having a strong partnership with Ohio Hospice and other organizations that we've built a strong health ecosystem that other startups can benefit from. So we're also offering um, Ascend Ventures as a startup studio to external startup companies that want to come in and work with us and benefit from that unique access. (laughs) Scott, I'm just like, wow. It, um, it's a little overwhelming. <laughs> it, uh, you know, obviously, uh, I'm glad I do what I do. Actually, society should probably be grateful that uh, I do what I do. Right? Yes. And not yes. try to do what you guys are doing because, I mean, you guys are doing just a great job. Uh, and sorry to interrupt, but you mentioned um, your partnership with OHI a little bit, and I know you had, you really were impressed by this story. Can you kind of share that vision that you guys worked with Ohio's Hospice? Yeah, absolutely. I'll cover it at a high level, and then I'm assuming we'll dive into um, specifics around that, but, uh, we've worked with Ohio's hospice now for three or four years. And, uh, Kent Anderson, their CEO has been a phenomenal visionary from a technology perspective. So you hear Ohio's hospice and you don't necessarily think about technology and innovation, but under their collective umbrella that includes pure healthcare, uh, they also have this focus around building technology and commercializing technology Mm -hmm. within their specific palliative care and, and, and hospice, uh, domain. So we've been able to build that partnership with them to be their uh, technology service provider and have helped them through several projects that now we're ultimately looking to kind of partner on and, and scale. So I'll let Bill talk about uh, the Acuity project specifically. Right. So back in uh, December of 2019, we met with Kent Anderson at OHI where he, he sat us down and, and painted us this picture of a, of a communication tool that he had started envisioning where 
a patient is admitted to Ohio's hospice and very quickly are able to show through a bespoke iconography set where that patient is on their journey, the severity of their illness, and then how much resources that person would necessarily need. And that, pro that project has been ongoing since then. It's, it's actually evolved quite a bit, but it's been a very eye-opening experience for us as a send as to how hospice operates, uh, the care that they provide, like the, the human aspect of, of following that person in their, their final days of life and, and the toil that takes on, on their workers. But we've developed a suite of machine learning models that helps dial in like how many days are going to be uh, remaining in hospice, how much they potentially could cost, and the amount of time that any of their staff may need to devote to that person based on their primary diagnosis and any of the comorbidities they may be suffering from. So we're you know, working with OHI right now to figure out how to commercialize that particular product uh, and they've been a fantastic partner in, in that effort and journey. Well, what I loved about that was kind of uh, one is like his vision around, hey, how do we make this, how do we and make this happen uh, faster? Uh, but also what I loved about it was more the empathetic approach to, to that. And if anyone's ever been involved in hospice, the, the folks that work in that, in that realm, uh, they are angels because that's one of the toughest things in the world to uh, kind of, you know, step through. And then what I, what I really appreciated around is just even the, the color schematics of if I, was a, if I was a hospice nurse and I saw a specific color and I saw a family inside of the hospice room, I kind of understand what I'm walking into. So I don't need to look at notes. I don't need to look at a chart. That my, my empathy is um, it's set for me. And I was like, you know, what a, what a brilliant way to look at, to honor all, uh, obviously the person. Uh, but also the family members and the entire organization. It was, um, it was a way to take uh, the human condition of love and support and empathy and then add data behind it. And uh, I was just, I was, I was taken away by, by his vision and how you guys took that information and turned it into uh, reality. Building that empathy is a, is a huge part for us going into a project such as that. So, for example, in that particular project, we spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time in the field with the admissions nurses going to these visits. Wow. And it's interesting to watch them have to spend an hour to an hour and a half reviewing all those notes, really understand what the situation is. So building an iconography set that can really explain that patient complexity beyond just their primary uh, diagnosis and the comorbidities, really understanding the environment they're in, what their family dynamics is like, really save them time and energy so they can get to them much faster and provide that service and care. Can you break down just for our listeners, a, kind of an example, like a red heart, what that would mean, or can you give a description for everyone? So we're still working on what the colors would be, okay. but in general, as of now, we look at any one of the patients through five dimensions. So their psychological state, their physiological state, their environment, the support they're getting, whether it's from their family or some faith-based organization, and then their actual relationship with the family themselves. Okay. So as of now, we're thinking about five icons. We still have to nail down what the colors are, but for example, if we have a patient that comes in with, let's say, congestive heart failure, mm -hmm. we give them that heart iconography, another part that would then describe what their mental state is. As you can imagine, some people, if they're a little bit further on in their final days, may not be completely in touch with what's going on around them. Right. So we would want to dial in that color or maybe something with the transparency or maybe like an apple symbol as far as like the completion of the circle around like they're like a brain symbol. Like wow. Yeah. It's 100% or less. Just something that really 
drives home very quickly, like where are they in their mental, physiological, and their environmental state? So that you don't have to go through digging in these notes to really understand that, which someone else put in there using all, all types of acronyms, and there's, it's a wall of text that they have to sit I'm going to have to look up arcanography. Do you, you, well, it sounds like I, I probably didn't even pronounce it. Ra- something right. so complex is just simplified in yeah. a symbol. It's like going through the yeah. airport, right? Like, where is my luggage? I have to look for the look luggage for the symbol suitcase. and yes. which arrow, okay. which way is the arrow pointing? Yeah, look, look, we're learning so much. Big time. Yeah, <laughs> I need a thesaurus, yeah. right? Yeah, I think the amazing part of what our team has the opportunity to do in a lot of these projects, as Bill talked about. I mean, he is, they are out talking to the folks in the field. They're talking to uh, the medical directors. They're talking to a lot of different folks in the space to take that human-centered design approach and really understand the problem. Like, he's he's gotten to do that, and the team's gotten to do that. He's done ride-alongs, as we'll talk about some of the mental health and addiction work with police officers in Dayton. Like, our, our team is really getting to have this phenomenal experience alongside of the actual building of the technology. Well, speaking of that, because one of the things that your organization really did, I mean, Dayton, Ohio was known as the epicenter of the opioid opioid epidemic. Uh, And obviously that's something that none of us are proud of. But through the help of Ascend, it was also recognized as one of the communities in the United States that actually made massive transformation uh, and mitigated uh, overdoses in a significant way. And a lot of that had to do with the collaboration of Ascend, the hospitals, the, the, the data, including uh, local government, police, EMTs. And so when, when you think about our community, the fact that, hey, we can move fast, we can lean into problems, as long as we have the right information. So c- kind of talk about how you guys got all those parties together and collected that data and the impact on the, on the uh, epidemic. So I'll touch on, you know, the data we actually collected and let Bill dive into some of the what are we actually doing with that. Part of the shift in in our strategy and looking at the value proposition of Ascend, one of the things that we asked is, okay, we're owned by hospitals. Can we get access to data? And if we get access to data, what can we do with that? And it was actually the hospitals that challenged us back in 2017 to say, okay, if we give you access to data, can you help the community as they're working through this opioid epidemic. And so we got access to both historical and real-time hospital data for the entire greater Dayton region. Um, But with that, began to build relationships with Montgomery County Adamus, so the Alcohol, Drug Addiction, and Mental Health Services, and then Public Health Dayton and Montgomery County, and started to craft a strategy to say, how can we build a broader data ecosystem? So with that, and, and with those relationships, which, by the way, kudos to those organizations who were completely open-minded to this and, and working through all of the, the legal uh, ramifications of how do we actually pull it off from a HIPAA standpoint, um, we were able to get access to mental health and addiction treatment claims, jail bookings, interactions with Dayton Police Department, coroner's data. So kind of as you see that when you put it together, it starts to form a holistic view from a system level interaction standpoint of somebody suffering from mental health and addiction. Um, And and from that, we've been able to craft a lot of uh, technology and data-driven strategies for the organizations because before, they didn't have access or insight to what's the longitudinal interaction somebody's having with the system as a whole. And it's been super beneficial for him if you want to dive into some of the specific projects. Yeah, so one in particular that he just t- Josh just t- uh, touched on was understanding, like, what is that journey a person has had throughout the various systems? And again, you know, 
these various entities have a lot of access to that data, but it's not centralized, so they have to dig for it. So we've created a high utilizer dashboard that kind of centralizes all that and gives a timeline of when a person may have touched the hospitals, may have touched the jails, various treatment programs. They get kind of like a like a baseball card for each individual in the Dayton area and really understand what that person's going through, especially if they want to do any type of outreach effort, like have that historical context of what they've already been through so that maybe they can talk to that, talk to them and help them get back into treatment or maybe increase their access to some treatment that they may not be aware of what's new and available to them. Like Bill, one of the things you you had mentioned, I'm sorry. For You're fine. I think we both had a light bulb. The, uh, like a police officer, mm-hmm. right? So all of a sudden, uh, how, how, is that, how is that useful to a police officer? So those are some legal hurdles that we're still trying to yeah. figure out how to clear because as Josh mentioned, there are some HIPAA uh, right. issues that we have to clear. There's some uh, 42 CFR uh, part two aspects we have to take care of because everyone's pay, uh, information is going to be protected at some level. But there are some, there's some verbiage in, the, in those codes that if there's a crisis and there's an immediate need that we may be able to get around it or uh, give access to law enforcement so that they can provide care and not necessarily take that person back to jail. So one conversation that Josh and I had recently was with the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office. They'll pull somebody over. This person is clearly in a crisis mode, but right now the only thing they have available to them is taking custody of that person and bringing them to jail or calling out, let's say, SWAT team. And they try to uh, contact Adamus to see where is this person in their journey, what are some things that has gone on in their past or is currently going on that may be able to help them better treat this person. But that's a, that's a person you're trying to call. And on a Saturday night, you know, they may not be available. So figuring out how can we provide a technological solution that they can then throw up the red flag, say, hey, we need information on this person right now because there's something going on. So figuring out how we can pro- best provide that, that technological bridge between the data and the people out in the field is something that we are actively trying to figure out so that you know, we can reduce people going off to jail and get them the treatment that they actually need. Yeah, I would say our, our community has done a phenomenal job of beginning to decriminalize addiction, right? That's, that's not how you treat it. It's actually getting them into care that we've proven now from a data perspective reduces utilization on our system as a whole. And, and our, our community has put together teams that include a number of different first responders that actually go out and help people. And it's not with an aim to uh, criminalize them for a situation, but to help them. And so as we continue to work through, um, you know, the, the different hurdles that we have to work through from a, from a legal standpoint with HIPAA in part two, uh, while we have to be cognizant of those things, we've begun to f- figure out creative strategies that we can use to make sure that the community organizations, be it a HIPAA-covered entity or not, uh, can benefit from that collaboration. It just truly sounds like the holy grail. We have all of this information we have to get through the legal hurdles, but it just can help the person. It helps the community. It helps the providers that are... My mind's just kind of blown right now. So when you said it was looks like a baseball card, I think that's a good example. How do they access this? Is this through just their database or is it going to be an app or so how we easy? We provide an app or an access point for them to actually log in, put the person's name in, and it comes up with all that information ready for them to, to use right away. So they don't have to spend the, the time digging it up, constructing that timeline themselves. Even simple things like, is this a, is this a first-time user? 
right? Right. This multiple user. I mean, nobody wants to be an addict. Nobody grows up and says, I want to be an addict. You know, and hospitals and nurses and the community and Adamus and other people that really care are leaning into these people with problems. Uh, and then obviously, you know, inside of addiction, nobody wants to admit it, right? So trying to get that information from the from the person is very difficult. But when we can amass enough information and hearts and, and compassion for people, uh, we can make a big difference, including, you know, the, uh, the folks from the city of Dayton that knock on people's doors. Well, that's also why we are working closely with the Montgomery County quick response teams, right? So we provide them with uh, some of that longitudinal data as well so that each time someone hits an emergency room with an overdose, they know who this person is and what their history has looked like in terms of treatment, hospital encounters, jail encounters. So they know how to better talk to them and communicate with them. And a lot of these QRT personnel, as you can imagine, they see the same people over and over again. And they kind of already know like this person may be suffering from cancer. So they are going to be on drugs that would indicate that they may have a problem. So they may hold off on reaching out to them. But if we see somebody who's just hit the ED for the first time, we got to get out to them as quickly as possible, either not too long after they've been discharged or possibly even while they're still in the care of the hospitals themselves. We can get them into treatment much faster. Has anything surprised you as you're navigating through this journey and creating and learning that you're allowed to share? (laughs) Do we have enough time for that? (laughs) I think it's just some of the, the, the simplicity of some of the interventions that will work. Sometimes like we've found that there's just simple things as far as a, a person that is a high utilizer leveraging a bus pass that was intended to get the treatment uh. appointments, using it to go to multiple hospitals in a day. Just having that insight can allow the organizational responsible for caring for that individual to help them. Mm-hmm. It's just these things are not complicated. It's just tying together the information to actually be able to provide that, that insight so that the organization can respond accordingly. Well, and you're sharing that if, when you, obviously you've got uh, folks that are involved in treatment, you've got the criminal justice system, you have hospitals, providers, you have all those people that are in this ecosystem mm-hmm. that all want a healthier person and the outcome. And uh, so job well done. And everybody wants to collaborate in the community. That's the amazing thing. And you think of entities like uh, 115 formed by Verily and, and the collaborations that they're having with the hospitals and the community organizations. Like our, our Dayton, when it comes to addressing uh, the mental health and addiction crisis, has done a phenomenal job in working together to bring some of these um, data-driven interventions to fruition. Yeah. And what else would you guys like to touch about that mental health, you're advocating for that. That's one of my favorite things we talked about is how when they are admitted, then you can help that person get connected to Adamus or someone that wants to help them with recovery. So what else, what other kind of strategies and innovations would you like to share about that? Well, I think, so first thing is, you know, we've realized this is something that is not just present in Dayton, right? And, you know, one of the things that we've worked through over, over the past couple of years is, can we scale this? Can we take these lessons learned from what we've built here in Dayton from a technology perspective and get them into other communities? And we've realized over the past year that the answer to that is yes. So we are now working with other recovery boards throughout the state um, to help them adopt some of the best practices from a data and technology perspective that we've been able to create here in Dayton. Um, So that's amazing to see some of these organizations that are – 
being open-minded and wanting to adopt some of the same practices. And, you know, the other, the other part of that is our community, specifically Montgomery County Adamist, was very fortunate with having multiple funding sources. A lot of these counties do not, especially small rural counties. Mm-hmm. Part of our vision of Ascend is empowering all communities with human-centered technology. So we would love to get to a place where we are able to build technology and um, subsidize it in a way that even the smaller communities um, or smaller community organizations are able to afford that type of technology. Because at the end of the day, it's not fair for somebody in small rural Preble County not to have the same opportunity to have the same level of service in Montgomery County. So those are those are things that we're trying to address by scaling some of these some initiatives. Yeah, minus the social issues, the economic issues is we're, we're going to pay for it anyway. So socially, if we can lean into this problem, it can make a big difference. When you think of our community and you think of maybe like an unmet need, like like what, what would that be? Like what should we be addressing? For me, as we've learned a lot about the benefits of collecting this type of data, and a lot of the language you'll see out there now is around community information exchanges, right? We have health information exchanges, but what about CIEs that tackle more of the social determinants of health? We're realizing like the benefit of as we would be able to layer that into the system level interactions, what that would be able to create in terms of insights for the organizations responsible for treating. So you may have more to add to that as far as the the social determinants of health and being able to uh, build upon the systems that are out there to collect that type of data. Yeah, my unmet need isn't so much at the person level, it's more at the organizational level, again, with this CIE idea. But there's a lot of parallel efforts going on here in Dayton that I think need to be addressed and unified because what's going on in Trotwood versus what's going on closer to Oakwood those two may not be talking to one another. So there's a lot of money maybe left on the table and efforts that could be shared or, uh, uh, yeah, shared and brought to a larger community if there was more awareness between the players here in the region and have a single body or maybe one or two single bodies that could unify a lot of those efforts and bring those players to the table. Yeah, if you had to finish this statement, so five years from now, Ascend looks like what does Ascend look like five, year, five years from now? So five years from now, Ascend has been able to build a really strong test bed here in Dayton for producing uh, mission-driven, socially impactful technologies that we've been able to actually scale, right? So part of, part of the equation is providing services, right? Doing good with technology. But the other side of it is we really want to get these technologies outside of Dayton. We want to show that Dayton can be a center for innovation, especially in this space of community health, and that we can actually take those products to market. Um, and and we didn't talk uh, about Positively, which is one of our mm. first spinouts. Mm-hmm. Um, so Positively is something that we developed here in Dayton. It is a mental health application for students. Um, kind of at its core, it's designed to reduce the stigmas around mental health in schools. So as it stands today, um, and I'll back up a little bit, Positively came up as an idea about 15 months ago. And we ultimately have formed it into a product now that is piloted here in Dayton uh, and also launched, uh, being launched rather in 40 school districts in Columbus. Um, positively at its core is a first and foremost uh, acts, uh, provides access to resources. So uh, 
school resources and community services as well. So if a, a kid is in crisis mode, if they need access to food, whatever it may be, they can go into this application and, and search for those types of things using uh, already having prompts for keywords like anxiety, depression, things of that nature. But I think the more interesting part is the peer-to-peer community. So we've created an environment where uh, students can go in and share stories around various things that we're wor- they're working through. Uh, and it's amazing to see some of the things that they're talking about, um, such as experiencing divorce, dealing with online learning, uh, racial injustices. I mean, these the kids are talking about these serious topics. And so uh, positively kind of functions as like an old school school yearbook, right? Kids produce content. It's moderated by counselors and teachers, and then it's posted so that they can all go out and read it. And we're really trying to challenge the status quo of traditional social media, right? Where it's all about engagement. Yep. How, how much can I get you to, to stare at this, this application or this phone? And really for us, it's not about that. It's about the value that we're creating. If we have uh, a student read one story and because of that go out and have meaningful conversations with other students really bridging the digital to in-person communities that's a win that that's mm-hmm. su- success for us so right now we're working on some strategies to uh, scale positively much broader than even Ohio uh, so we're working on an investment deal that will have more to share on probably in December mm-hmm. that will be uh, aiming to scale positively nationwide um, and, and really improve the feature, uh, not improve the feature set, but expand the feature set. So beyond just the resources and the peer to peer community, we're looking at building in ev- evidence based, uh, SEL, social emotional learning, uh, content and curriculum. And then the kind of end game is the digital front door to counseling. So being able to create a streamlined process within the schools for kids to get access to clinical help when they need it, um, oftentimes, which will be through a, a telehealth engagement. So that's that's where we're uh, aiming to take the product. That was a pretty good answer to your question. Yeah, it's terrific. And you have uh, some Dayton schools. Yep. And then obviously uh, Columbus. Yep. So it's that's one example, a great example of commercializing that idea and pushing it out. On top of the fact that um, behavioral health and mental health is such a big issue, and especially in our youth today. So uh, well done. Well done. And you guys have mentioned about scaling quite a bit. So how hard is it to scale? Is that one of the, I guess, things you're navigating through right now? <sighs> yeah. So... We've had multiple products now that we've pulled out. One is called Local Help Now, which is really positively built on that. Um, Originally, positively was called when it was first came up with uh, Local Help Now students. So Local Help Now (laughs) is just a resource directory for mental health and addiction services. So if you're in a given county, you can pull up the app and have an efficient way to identify what's available to you. Uh, When this was actually a product that we worked with Montgomery County Adamus to produce, um, when we built this back in 2018, they were originally having things on a spreadsheet printed that you had to navigate what when we basically took that and turned it into uh, an application. That is something that's running in five other counties right now, I believe. But a lot of the challenge is the market is very crowded with mm-hmm. that one. There's a lot of different resource applications out there. So it all, you know, ties into looking at the, uh, the, the go-to market strategy for a product and really identifying 
who's going to resonate with this product? Who, who is actually going to buy it? And mm -hmm. what is the impact that it is going to make? And so positively it has a much broader reach uh, than something like local help now. So we're finding that we're going to come out with products that are going to have smaller scale. And we're okay with that because ultimately it's still serving a certain client base and making impact. And then we're going to have the ones that um, have more of a larger market opportunity that we want to really take to the next level. Bill, do you have anything to add to that? I saw you nodding along. No, I don't have anything. I thought Josh <laughs> captured that perfectly. Well, unfortunately, it seems we have to wrap up. Is there anything else you two would like to share? We're so grateful. I also like positively the name a little bit better than Local Help Now students. So good <laughs> switch. Um, but is there anything else that you two would want to share with our listeners? I think the only other thing is a shout out to our team. You know, I talked early on about um, our capabilities and shifting that. It's really phenomenal the team that we've built that have those skill sets that believe in what we're aiming to do mm -hmm. right really that socially impactful mission-driven approach is uh, a lot of why the team is working for us and they truly believe in, in in what we're trying to do in the community so shout out to them they're they're working hard every day to bring that vision to life so uh, we could not be where we are today without the hard work from our team We've got some difference makers in Dayton. I love it. Yeah, I can't thank you. And you guys have really cool um, work environment too. Great, great space, great environment in Dayton. Thanks for supporting and growing jobs in our community. And obviously just, you know, thanks for everything you do. Incredible work. Thank you. Thank you. And really appreciate you having us on today. Yes. So um, to our listeners, if you have any questions or comments for Josh or Bill, you can contact them. Ascendinnovations.com, I believe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or add them on LinkedIn. Um, but if you have any questions for us, you can contact me at Kenzie at HealthierBirthdays.com. Or Scott at HealthierBirthdays.com. Um, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time on Side Effects.